What is up, rugby fans? Welcome back to the Safa Pod. Now, usually we make you wait for our guest. You have to put up with mine and Steve's chat for about 10, 15 minutes, but we're into the World Cup. It's business time, so we might as well get straight into it. We're delighted to be joined by four-time Prem winner, two-time Champions Cup holder. He's won a rugby championship. He's also won the World Cup. Can only be one man. Skulk Brits. Skulk, how are you? Yes. I am fantastic. <laughs> Thank you guys for the invitation. Looking forward to having a chat. Not a problem. Now, as much as we're a small time podcast, I do try and do as much prep as possible before coming on here. Can you tell me, have you taken up meditation since quitting rugby or has that always been something that you've done? Because your Spotify suggests that you quite enjoy a, a meditation mix along with Olivia Rodrigo and potentially Book von Black? Um, only because Book stays uh, three blocks from my house. So if he goes on my Spotify and I don't have him as a favorite, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. And my son loves um, a song called Pompuna or something, Lamuna. <laughs> so, so yes, I do like meditation. And I guess it's in, in the rugby world, you can try to hurt people. In the corporate world, it doesn't work. You either end up in jail or get sued. So I have to use my meditation to calm down. And I've got three boys, 11, 9, and 7. That is extremely crazy. Absolutely. And I mentioned it there. We're into the first week of prep for the World Cup. I personally feel that we might have a tougher game against Scotland than against Ireland, but I might be biased there given all the noise that I've got surrounding me. Are you confident about the, the game this weekend? And is that on the back of the, the performance that the box put in against the All Blacks? Um, it's only next weekend, Scott. No, we play Scotland on Saturday, Sunday. This no. Sunday. No. Yes. No. Yes. Next Sunday. 10th of September. Skulk. Skulk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's, ma- it's Monday. Yes. Yes. Sorry, yes, I yeah, apologize. Yeah. I'm wrong. I'll take it. Listen, take I know it. you're in between yes. jobs at the moment, so maybe you've forgotten the day. <laughs> oh. No. Remember, if you're on a sabbatical, you're not sure what, what day it is. Now, I, I would say, taking Scotland, I think Rossi's viewpoint would be the same uh, going into 2019 World Cup. Listen, there's only two, one game that we have to win. Not have to win, but two big games that you would either target Scotland or Ireland. And I think for going from a South African perspective, this is the one to win. I mean, Tonga, with all due respect, is, is a good side, but it's, we, we, we're playing against them at the end of the tournament, or not end of the pool stages. So they've got great 15, maybe a great 23, but testing depth, they'll, I think, and I hope, that they'll come up short. So this would be definitely the first one. And if you win this one, then sort of the pressure's on Ireland to beat Scotland, yeah, and vice versa. So this one, I'm... I'm confident about the box, but looking at the way Scotland has played, playing against France, beating them at home, then going to France, you know, pushing them till the end. I think uh, France were leading two tries against their best side. Uh, I think there was almost a 40-point gap, and normally you would think Scotland would then pull, or France will pull away with a game. But this Scottish side's got a determination and a a push and a belief that I haven't seen in a previous Scottish shard in my lifetime, I would say. And, and uh, it's a great side. It's unfortunate that 
you've got Scotland, Ireland, and South African one pool. It almost feels like how the draw has been done, Wayne Advance has actually uh, made made the whole World Cup a bit, um, although this is probably the most exciting World Cup going into it because you don't know who's going to win, but having New Zealand, France, South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, all in one side of the draw is is drives me crazy. I think it's a good thing. I think they have said they will be changing it from the next World Cup. Yeah. I think they're doing it two years out, which is quite good. Talking about Ireland there, they're the other kind of top name in our pool, if you will. Do you think yeah. that they're finally going to make it out of the quarters? Or do you think that either France or likely the All Blacks will be too much for them? Sure. So I've, I've seen, said previously, like I think Ireland will, will not pass the quarterfinals again. Um, but saying that is, is I hope I'll, I'll get proven wrong. Um, my prediction was we'll play, uh, actually France, pre all the injuries, would beat New Zealand on the first game and then we'll top of the pool and then we'll play, um, we'll play New Zealand quarterfinals. Um, unfortunately, for all the Scottish listeners out there, they won't make the quarterfinals, although I think they're a great side or good side. It's unfortunate what pool they are. They're playing ranked number one and number two in the world. And then it would be a Ireland-France quarterfinal. And being at home, France, pressure, and the way they've been playing, it's going to be a hard team to beat. Um, so from that perspective, yeah, we, we shall see, as they say, but it's going to be a very interesting World Cup that's ahead of us. Now, Keegan says his, uh, his blood runs green, but I'm convinced it's not green for the box, it's green for Ireland, so he'll be distraught just, to hear yeah, you saying that. Don't, don't try and put the, the spotlight on me just because uh, Skulk's roasting you a bit pre this podcast, okay, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> like oh, I say, I I'm not, a, I'm not convinced. It's a free gun charm, Ed, so I'm I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, for those that d- kind of don't know the story, and I, I doubt there'll be very many people that don't, how did a late night in Ibiza post-retirement lead you to being a Rugby World Cup winner? Um, it's quite weird. I finished my career at Saracens after nine years, just won the premiership and myself and uh, we sort of had a trip, a family trip. I've got three boys aged now 11, 9 and 7. We went to Ibiza to say goodbye to this game. Next next career move, playing or working for Rainet in London, studying at Cambridge, all sorts of wife working in London. And um, put the kids in bed, got a couple of mojitos, ordered to the room. And like most guys want to do, just connect with their wife and uh, whatever follows, follows, I guess. And I got a weird text message from, from an unknown number and I went on it and like the the message was from unknown, as I said, but it was like um, a normal, I forgot Rashi's number and it was from a random number and it was like, it's your line all meaning is is my line finished? Uh, and t- t- it's difficult to translate, but it means like, do I still want to play rugby? And I thought it was Vincent Koch having a couple of toots uh, in South Africa. So I know he was in South Africa and it was late at night. It was like 11 o'clock in the evening. And I was sending back to this unknown number, listen, I'm the quickest, strongest, best looking, uh, fittest hooker you'll ever have. 
And after like three or four messages of communicating across and being so arrogant, um, my wife that is sort of the conservative one, being a lawyer, she goes, are you sure it's not Rassi Erasmus? I said, Kalinda, I've played for 20 years of rugby. I'm old. I'm 37. I've just retired. Why would he text me now? Eventually, I picked up the phone, phoned, Rassi answered, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. I'm being a total idiot. Um, and so that sort of was the transition back into the game, although reti I retired at my last training session, last game, last farewell dinner, benefit dinner, everything all sorted at Saracens. And then I had to text everyone and say, listen, I'm, I'm back in. And that was weird is because the plan was only to do three test matches because I had a lot of IP on the England side. We played England uh, at home, won that series, but then Russia asked me to sort of join permanently till the World Cup and, and then play in South Africa. So we decided to move back to South Africa. Um, I first had to get permission from the missus, secondly from the kids, thirdly from Cambridge to um, postpone my studies or, and before that actually ask Johan Rupert if I can um, start working for him later and all of them said sharp what's the difference if I start working for you at 37 or 38 so that sense I got back into the game and I would always sort of have a thank you towards Rassi for giving me that opportunity to play in a World Cup in Japan and irrelevant if we were successful or not for me to have that amazing memories because most people that watch rugby players or, or glorify the game, yes, it's amazing for the player, but the one that's really struggling is a family. I mean, I've only slept 15 days and eight months during that 2019 World Cup year at home. And the guys, the people that were suffering was actually the wives and the girlfriends and the, the kids back home. It's, it's probably something a lot of people forget about in terms of we always as fans because myself and Steve's have we wish we could have played rugby at a decent level where I think we had dreams of that and there's a reason we talk about rugby and don't play it but as fans you watch rugby unfold on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday evening and that's all you see you see the 80 minute performance you don't get to see mm. the training you don't get to see what happens with families and, and everything else. So I think a lot of fans kind of forget the commitment that it is to play a game that you love, but then the impact it has on your family. Yeah, it's almost, you compare that to iceberg. I don't know if you've seen that illustration of the iceberg. You always see the beautiful top at the, at the top and then at the bottom you see the other 90%. And they're just hard work, late nights, early mornings, um, sacrifice, name it. I think it, it's in any profession, not just sport. They, to be successful, be top or the 1% in whatever profession you go in, you need to put in the hours. And unfortunately, to succeed in anything, you need to put a lot of discipline and a lot of work ethic into it. And for only small parts of, of glory, I guess. Um, and so I think rugby is no different to any being a great accountant or a great lawyer or great whatever you are, um, that it, it takes sacrifice and hard work. Yeah, I think exactly as you say there, sort of thing, you know, you have your your whole career that you had and we obviously just heard the, the story about, you know, retiring, coming back and then 
you know, I always think back of the documentary, how Rusty always says, you know, like 2019 was a bonus and that. But I think this is, but if I'm not mistaken, this is our first World Cup winner that we've spoken to yeah. on, on the podcast and that. And I'm sure you get this question a lot. But what was that like sort of feeling, you know, when that final whistle goes and you just know you guys are crowned world champions and when you get to hold that trophy for the first time, what what what's like the first thought that goes goes through your head? I think it was uh, even even not winning. If we didn't win it, it was worth the sacrifice because the focus was a lot on the journey as well. Although you want to succeed, there's a lot of things that happened during that World Cup and pre World Cup that was putting pressure on the squad. Um, that I mean, if you watch Chasing the Sun, it became not about winning a rugby match, but about giving hope to our country. So people living outside of South Africa do not understand always the complexities we live in in a country like this. Or people move to Scotland. Who would want to do that? You know. <laughs> but saying that is is when it became more than just a rugby match, it became listen, irrelevant of your background, irrelevant of your race, irrelevant of your religion. We can work together as a team. And that became sort of our driving force. And it wasn't just then winning a rugby match. It was showing that our country is, we can work together if you, we've got diversity. And diversity is actually what makes us strong. And we've always said, like, you all have to look the same. We all have to act the same. We wanted to say, we can all look different. We can all be different. We can all do things in a different way, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds, different, um, so, not social status, but different status within people looking from the outside. And yet we can be successful because that is what our slogan was, stronger together. And that is sort of, then it became, and that's what was for me the biggest impact um, from a sporting outlook is when we came back to South Africa and yes, it was great living the trophy, but driving through every city, every township, places where I would not put my foot down today, seeing people run with us for kilometer after kilometer, celebrating not uh, a typical background, but celebrating us, celebrating being South African. That was a very emotional time for me and things that I would never, ever forget. And that I'm so extremely grateful to be part of that 2019 World Cup. I think we had it in um, 95. I can remember running through the streets as a choker, you know, seeing Francesco Pinal with Nelson Mandela lifting the trophy. Nelson wearing a number six shirt. Now we've got Sia Khaleesi, the first ever black captain. And I hate saying black because we shouldn't be focusing on the color of anyone lifting that trophy and then uniting a country that is quite um, not scattered, but can be so much more, I would say. And seeing a guy lifting, uniting through sport, a nation, that is what 2019 World Cup was for me all about. And we could, we didn't understand the impact what sport can do till we came back home with uh, the web Alice um, that was a life-changing moment 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, even with um, you know, like winning winning World Cups, it's always had a a significant um, you know, drive and everything that it gives the gives the country gives the country hope and that. But definitely, I think that that Chasing Sun documentary. I mean, you you started seeing it in sports with the Formula One, you know, and now you look and every bloody Instagram story you see on Sunday is flipping Max Verstappen and shit like that. But it's it's came, I suppose, from that sort of behind the scenes actually getting to know the players and that and you know you you felt a lot more connected to the players and I think obviously winning the World Cup gave everyone um, so much hope and and you know everyone came together but I think just you know you guys sort of opening yourselves up to that um, documentary and and really giving South Africa an insight I think it's just completely boosted the the reputation of the Springboks and that I'd, I'd love to know how that experience of you know, the the documentary, like all these um, players being completely transparent about their stories and that. How was, how was that experience? The Chase on the Sun was actually not meant to be a documentary for the public. Um, in the beginning, it was meant to, um, what is the most diff- difficult thing to, to sort of explain to younger players coming through or in any organization? What determines success? And that's culture. And within the Springboks, uh, from 95, or if you take from 1930 onwards, the culture of the, the Springboks side has changed and it will keep on changing. And so from that perspective, things that was valuable to us, we wanted to give to the next generation. So that was almost sort of the plan of, of the documentary, not the documentary, but actually taking videos and giving it to the next hooker and the hooker after that. And in 20 years' time, they've got something to see what a guy said 20 years ago. If it was relevant or not relevant, uh, there is things that is that shirt, that number two shirt or that number five shirt, you're only there for a limited time. Some players a bit longer than others. But the plan is to make, when you give the shirt to the next hooker, is to leave it in a better place. And that was sort of the aim is, is not just a better rugby player, but a better person. And so we wanted to install a type of culture for the next generation. And that, and we were quite open about certain things, the things that wasn't even shown in, shown in Chasing the Sun. But that was actually the main aim. But yet there was a lot of individual stories that need to be shared with the public that actually makes us not pimpy that you see on on the rugby pitch for 80 minutes on a Saturday, give him reference or relevance or um, the story was too good not to share. And so everyone, you've got a story. The guy that's living next to me has got a story. But the point is to only, it's great everyone's got a story, but someone has to listen to that story. And that was the main aim of a lot of things that happen in the squad is you have to use your ears and your mouth in the same proportion. You first have to listen and then speak and understand that certain cultures go different ways. And that's the challenge with diversity is you have to listen. You have to understand the guy's background. You have to understand that a guy like Peter Steph is a great rugby player. Siakalisi is a great rugby player. But you have to, to make that gel. They need to understand each other and um, value each other's backgrounds and their principles, and they have to um, understand that 
to perform on a rugby pitch because on a rugby pitch, it's not just about what you get paid. It's what is our relation to each other? How much do I care? How much extra do I want to give on a rugby pitch? Because I care more about you. And I think that was a big thing within our squad saying I only slept 15 days and eight months at home. That became my brothers. My brothers that I had to understand I eat every day, I sleep every night. <clears throat> I had a roommate first went from Yellen, but then he snored too much and then I had to move to Vincent Cock because I spent every night with him. I saw him more than I saw my wife and he saw me more than he saw his wife. So those things, it's very hard to explain to someone and being in the corporate world, yes, you arrive at 8 o'clock in the morning and you leave at 5. Then rugby terms on tour, that long time, you really have to understand and have a good relationship to get along because you just so much in each other's company. What you said there mirrors a lot of what you saw from, I think it was Sia Khaleesi during the Laureus Sports Awards, where yeah. when, he was, when, when you guys were awarded Team of the Year, where he said, look, this is this being given to me, but he then acknowledged Cheslin and he acknowledged Makazola and he acknowledged Peter Steff Toy and he almost took a step back when people try to acknowledge his story. So it seems like the, the environment that was created was perfect in terms of the communication, you, you guys being able to understand each other, as you say. You've been really open about how Saris were creating an environment that made you play for the guy next to you or made you think about the person next to you. Do you think that's one of the keys from the box in 2019 and at the moment is the environment that Rossi and Jacques create for the players? So firstly, going back to Saracen, it was different, but in principle, there was a lot of similarities, right? And you had a guy that was sharing an old school, let's take rugby back, Pre my series days and pre Stormers days, and rugby was sort of a very Afrikaans culture, or not Afrikaans, but a very rigid culture. You go to training, your coach told you what to do, you do what he did, and then you go home and execute on a Saturday what he says. But you weren't really part of the planning; you were just saying doing what the coaches. And if you don't do what he did, he told you to do, you're out of here. He gets the next guy. Then eventually the the way, and I guess corporately as well, it is changing, some quicker than others, is I would, Scott, I will come in, I've employed you or you employed me and I'll ask your opinion on whatever your speciality might be and then I'll take that, but yet the bucket stops at the the big dog or Rassi. So Rassi's way, and the same with Brennan Fentz or Edward Griffiths, when he, um, when they were in charge of Saracen, the same with Mark McCoy, is you take your employees or your players or your assets and you ask them how they want to execute a certain strategy. You get the input. If you own it and you've got an insight into that specific strategy, you're trying to make it work and you put your hand up. Sometimes you had the wrong strategy. And from that point of view, if you've got then a no fear kind of outlook and you take responsibility for something, people are more invested than in the result instead of just getting a salary. Then your your motivation changes, right? And I think if we go back to Saracen's days, there was always Brendan at the bucket stops at Brendan or the bucket stops at Mark McCall. 
But as players, they gave us the freedom to uh, express the way we played, but they, you had insight and you had input into how we play on weekends. And then they would have, uh, we had a data analyst to determine what gives you the biggest probability, looking at different KPIs, what gives you the biggest probability of winning. And so in the beginning at Saracen, for example, um, the biggest probability of winning was kicking meters, running meters, and the style we played and the players we had. But eventually, uh, we lost the the fun element, I would say, because we wanted to play more. But the stats said if you play more, you would lose in the way it's ref. But then we had a big get-together in Brighton, and we said, listen, although this the stats is X, we're not getting joy out of it. And we changed our pattern around and we got more joy and got to the final, although we lost in the final the year after that we won. So um, it's hard to to get that balance right. But I, going back to 2019, Racing Jock is phenomenal in the way they analyze opposition. They, they put a lot of hours in to analyze themselves and to see where they can improve. And there's a lot of in the old days, where it's just a, th- a thumb suck, this is proper data analytics, they, uh, and you have to do it because everyone does it. Things like that was. Let me use this example. So, who of you in the 2019 World Cup said, "Please stop kicking the freaking ball"? Because my dad phoned me. And, <laughs> I think my my dad phoned me and said, "Please, can you please tell Fafa?" Andre and Billy to stop kicking possession away. We're never going to win a rugby match if we give the ball to our opposition. But statistically, it was a long discussion with dad is to try to explain to him that it doesn't benefit you to have the ball because the way they ref the game, if they don't start refing the game differently, we don't want the ball. It's more important to have territorial advantage and possession. And one of the KPIs we, we looked at was kicking meters versus running meters. Kicking meters was a b- bigger indicator of success than running meters would. So if you look at the, for example, I don't want to go too deep into analysis. If you look at the game against England and uh, Australia was one of the games we analyzed as well because we well, we didn't play, we played England in the final, but that was think quarterfinal. Australia had more running meters, more offloads, more line breaks, more possession, more territory, but they got whipped by England on the scoreboard, but they won all the other things, but they lost the big KPIs. So that's things that, if you look at Wales and people think we changed our game pattern from Wales to England, we didn't. We only had six hours of training. But we couldn't understand why we lost against Wales four times before that or four or five times before that. And what they did is they had just a superior kicking game and we thought we couldn't understand. We Same thing, we had more running meters, more offloads, more line breaks, but we lost against them. It was purely because the way they played, they kicked long, the first ruck, they would come, they, the first chaser would come hard, try to keep you up, you play for two or three phases, make no ground, and either they get a penalty kick into your 22 or they, you kick the ball from a defensive position and they can start attacking or kicking, dominating the kicking game from there. So there's a lot of things people must understand. Rugby isn't just like the old school where there's um, 
with the thumb sucker, how you play or what play you play. They they spend hours analyzing weaknesses in defense. They're analyzing a lot of different stats. It, it's and because there's money and there's time spent, and you have to outthink the other teams, and sometimes you have to outbully a team. Uh, maybe that's a weakness. I'm looking at the Springboks now, or let's take the Springboks a couple of years ago. We tried to play like New Zealand. We tried to play like Australia to our own detriment because it was beautiful. Our players are brutal. They are physical. They, If you give them a plan and you give them even a simple plan, they would execute, but they want to know and they want to have input into that plan. And Russ has been very clever how he's grown his squad from 2019 or 2018 when he took over till where he is now. He said, and the focus is always, I guess, if you look at the Springboks, people get so annoyed that we don't win every game. But the aim for us, it wasn't to win every game. The aim was to make sure he's grown depth in the squad, give a lot of people um, experience, build experience within the squad. And he, the, it's a valid point he's made. Can you remember one that... 2006 Tri-Nations. No. Can you remember when the 2007 World Cup? Absolutely. Probably. You can remember who won the 2020 World Cup? Probably. 2015? Probably. 2019? Yes. People give a damn who was first on the rankings five years ago, but you can remember winning World Cups. And his aim from when he took over is to win World Cups. And so going into this World Cup, he's sacrificed, although we ended up second on the rankings. That's never the aim. The aim was do we have another guy that can fill under Pollard's spot? Maybe. We, we had to push Marnie in. Moody was one of the players that we developed. Lukani On was injured. They put a pants on him. He's played brilliantly against New Zealand. Do we have two amazing packs that can inter, interchange as easily as this? Yes. Are we quite sure in the way we want to play? Yes. Do we have a good probability to succeed in this World Cup? Yes. And that's all he, he was trying to create during this. He said he, he wanted to win the Lions series, and then he started to experiment from Lions to where we are now. So going into this World Cup, I'm quite confident in the way uh, we are playing. Hopefully, Andre, just to get depth, Andre will come back. He is a match winner. Marnie's been playing brilliantly. He doesn't get enough credit for our win against New Zealand. And he's, although he's kicking, see, people say he can't kick, but he's, I mean, the way he kicked last weekend was phenomenal to the line, to the posts. Yeah, Andre's been pushing hard for that number 12 shirts. We've got a pick that is extremely dangerous. We're experimenting on. Structure having a seven-one splits. People are hating as we're getting abused for having a seven-one split. But if we've got two injuries in the back, and we had to play Quaja or Franco at fullback, whatever it might be. We'd have said, "Oh, what an idiot!" But yet, it's risk and reward, like most things. We took the gamble; it paid off, and we almost. Sorry, I'm talking a long time now. Almost like in the final, we had a six-two split. Andre got injured in that game, but pushed through. Billy was injured going into that game. He didn't get injured. And that sometimes, like Sinclair got injured in the first minute to give Dan Cole, after coming back from a neck 
fusion to play against two packs for 80 minutes <laughs> or 76 minutes. There was no way of him surviving that. Yeah, I think um, everybody, I don't know what it was. It was the same thing in the 2019 World Cup, 6-2 split. It should be thrown away. It's not allowed, but it's high risk and high reward. And shout out to, I think it was Matt Williams, who used to coach Scotland, who's gone absolutely mental because of it and said, World Rugby needs to make a change. I think he coached Scotland for 16 games and they only won three. Um, so I think there's uh, maybe more. Matt can, Matt, can eat, Matt can eat a fluff ball. <laughs> I saw that interview and it was for me absolutely ridiculous. I but actually he, turned it off halfway through, if I'm honest. I, I'm like, honestly, if, if, if it played the other way around and two other backs or three other backs got injured, he would have said, he would have said what an idiot. Now, if you've got the talent to use that sort of way, and they probably prepped Quacha to play different positions during that week, no problem. But they didn't. Oh, they did, but luckily we didn't get any injuries. So I don't understand what, what is his, his issue. But anyway, so I think he's just putting pressure on World Rugby to make a change to that. But I mean, if we look at the way rugby has changed, the bombs want a bomb squad. The the impact players or the players coming off the bench is another strategy at itself. So wake up and move on. Yeah, I think the biggest argument I've heard is about injuries, but actually if you're replacing a pack at halftime or 50 minutes in, it's less injuries are less likely because actually what you're doing is you're spreading the load across your players. So really yeah. you're you're not risking any extra injuries. It's just um, yeah, and and it's not stretching. that he's trying. It's not that he's trying to play a lock at at hooker. Like the front row has to be front rows, and we keep to that. But a flanker that can play um, back row, a back row that can play wing, a, a back row or lock that can play center. Quacha has played different positions. He gives us that versatility. The same with France Dane. He gives us that versatility in twenty nineteen. Damien. Um, Film so it gives us the versatility to play fullback, wing, inside center, fly off. And the one position that needs to be specialized, very specialized, is nine. And he had Quacha there, Arna Quacha, Quibus there as a replacement. So there is definitely, definitely a risk in it. But with most things, you must manage that risk. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think just going based off that, uh, the, the World Cup win and everything, you know, like it, every sort of uh, person that has achieved what they've wanted to achieve in their career and everything, you know, it's always um, that that moment of like a what now moment. You're not not quite sure, you know, you've done these things and that. Now, obviously, with, with your situation is completely different. You said you were going to uh, go back and study and then um, you had things lined up and that after rugby so it was almost like you sort of had the plan when you came back to, you know, continue when you were finished in that. How was that transition after rugby and, you know, um, getting getting into the corporate world and, and how are you finding it at the moment? Well, I would say, Steve, it's is not a transition. It's a complete mind. Right? So firstly, to give <laughs> reference to, to transition. So all athletes, if you take it, so they go from being the what? probably less than the top 1% in that profession 
to going to a next profession where they follow the 99%, probably the 1% that's worse than their profession because comparing a discount of cash flow or analysis on or, or, or due diligence on a company is quite different to tackling someone or doing a rack or running with a ball. It is totally different. So that was definitely a mind shift. So luckily I was... Uh, started working at Remgrove. They gave me the opportunity uh, that I'm extremely grateful for to expose me to private equity, corporate finance, venture capital, and internal audit. Um, and my background is accountancy, so I was lucky enough to study at Stellenbosch before I have a professional career in rugby. And the plan was never to be a rugby player per se. It was, listen, let's have a year of fun before I do articles and see how things work out. And that one year became 16 years of um, chasing the egg, I would say. And and so the corporate life worked there for two years. Uh, there wasn't a lot of value at from my perspective, so I couldn't add value to a great organization like Remgrow. And then I moved to one of, I got approached by one of the directors at Remgrow or board members called Guido Nivot, worked for Southern Ray Capital for another year. Uh, the Life, family balance didn't work out because I was away three days of the week. Um, went on a sabbatical, resigned in October, at, um, at off till or restriction of trade till March. Um, and uh, I've extended my, my break till the end of the year doing punditry for Supersport uh, and some corporate gigs. And so after the World Cup, I'll, I'll jump into something different. Ask me, corporate life is boring as can be if i'm honest i don't know don't know how you go from from rugby to that that mental shift must have been no so what tough. is what is challenging scott is is i think you become well i'm quite open about this what is hard is you start a new profession at, at 37 right so you've got a lot of minions not minions a lot of people that's been in the corporate world that's a lot younger than you no problem with that but they can do things just a lot better because they've done it for a lot longer. So if I want to do a discounted cash flow, there's a guy that can do it 10 times quicker and 10 times more efficient because he's been doing it for 10 years. Same with uh, Excel spreadsheets, same with analyzing funds for the second part of my career. So then you come to the realization that you have to play to your strengths. You can't well, if you can catch up and it's worthwhile, um, you can catch up in certain places, but he's going to move forward at a steady pace. And it's compounding effort, right? Compounding hard work that is hard because at 20, in your early 20s, and your early 30s, you can put in the hours because your responsibility outside is not as much. When you have kids, a wife, it becomes you've only got so many hours in a day, you have to sleep, you have to eat, and you have to spend time with them. And everyone values certain things differently in each of their own. But that sacrifice came at a too high price. Um, and with my wife still working for UK firm, it became tricky. So I'll find something a bit more local that I don't have to travel as much um, and find a life-work balance because... Before I know it, the kids are out of the house and then I can graft harder again. But those three investments or most important investments, my three boys and my wife comes first. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've, as we mentioned off air, lived in Scotland since I was about 19. Yeah. Scotland's the, the, the home of your one true love, if if we're being completely honest. 100%. In, in golf, what would be your one piece of advice to any newbie golfer who's never picked up a club before? And what what's the one mistake you made when learning how to play golf that you wish you'd, somebody had told you not to make? I think, you know, okay, on golf, I think it is the best sport out there. Not for the single ball not moving, standing still, and trying to generate force to hit it in a certain direction that this ball small and that whether it's this big or this small is it's the closest you'll ever get to life. I think it's a good reflection of life. You have your ups and downs, your hearts and colds, and it's managing expectation against reality. And you can do it for extremely long time with my, my dad and now my sons. Um, and, and the game itself, you can never master it. Um, and if I say to anyone taking up the game, do not chase perfection because there is nothing like perfection in golf. It is if you see now different golfers, you've got Matthew Wolf, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, you've got Jordan Spieth with a chicken wing flying. There's different ways of getting the ball in the hole. Just find a way to hit the ball that is unique to you. Certain principles in any golfing is angle of attack, face, face to path, and where the ball goes. But the most best advice that I can give anyone, and that I learned from rugby, is enjoy the journey, enjoy the challenge. Because you always aim for a certain score, you always aim for a certain thing, but you forget to enjoy the journey. And that's, I think, in rugby terms, what was my biggest mistake. You always push for a team, you always push to the next. If you made the team, you want to the next, you want then, and that's great to be competitive, but sometimes you lose the relationship you could could have built while in that journey because you're so hard-headed going in a certain direction and you didn't take people with you. And for me, that's now the aim of golf is enjoy it with whoever I play. Yes, sometimes I'm going to head it into a bush. Sometimes I'm going to shoot two or three under. That just happens and that's life. And you never know what's going to happen around the corner. I've played, I've played one of my best rounds not expecting anything and shot a couple of weeks ago, but it's three or four under at Erinvale. And then some days, literally the week after that, I'm expecting to play again and shoot that again. And I shoot 82. <laughs> so it, it's just, for me, it's, it's this, this crazy game called golf is absolutely amazing. And the people you play with um, is great as well. There's Listen always up. someone new to meet around the corner. That's not for our listeners. That's just for me because I really needed to hear those words because my golf is not good at all. Mate, mate, I cannot pick up another golf uh, stick. I've refused for like since I was like 14 years old. I just gave up. I was so terrible. Yeah. Well, if, if, you take, if you take where you live, I mean, the closest thing that I get to that kind of feeling is surfing or being in the water. Yeah. I mean, b- being a muscle muscle boy boy, being in the water, sitting there out of pool, in a pool, um, watching the next wave roll by, 
it's just that that peace of mind and the golf course you've got five hours to walk around in between a edible and talk a bit of crap with the guys with you but where do you get that time for yourself and so one thing like in surfing you talk crap while you're waiting for the net set, set to come through enjoy those moments because that that's 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 class that's that's life that is and so the same as surfing you you can't wait for the next wave but you have to chill enjoy the ride enjoy being in the water it's you have to find the beauty in small things not the big things yeah i definitely think that and um yeah i mean just based off uh, meeting you online now and having this whole podcast and everything, I've, I've just picked up that you've got like still like so much energy and, you know, you do all these things and stuff like that. Like what's, what's sort of the, the secret to all the bullies out there to, to get off the couch and, you know, try and like energize your life a bit more. You speak a lot about balance and everything like that. Your, your priorities with your boys as well. I'm sure you spend so much time with them and obviously, See, keeping up with them, you got to keep those energy levels up and staying in shape. What's the secret? Um, I would say, firstly, having great friends and great mentors helping me through my journey, is, and people that that is willing to jump on my boats or my bus to advise me and support me and mentor me. I, I guess, and then from uh, having great parents, and then secondly, or thirdly, actually, is I don't know if you watched the movie The Mole. Sounds familiar. So the mole is about an old old man uh, that it becomes unknown to him, becomes a drug mole, and th- there's a song on it. Never let the old man in. So we've all got different ages, different years we're born, but if nobody told you when you were born, how would you act? How would you be? And from my perspective, I don't know when my last day will be. So I'm enjoying this journey for how long it might be. Um, it is just for me, it's it's life is there to live. Um, yes, it comes a lot of times you might need to make sacrifice and you can't always have fun. But for me, it's, it's, it's the people. People give me energy. Um, and, and for me now, staying fit and being uh, in a position because... I've been pushing a tin for a very, very long time in my rugby career that I need to stay fit for the next generation. I want to be able to, like my dad, still kick a ball around, play touch with my boys, play golf, tennis, paddle, surf one day with the kids and just have a great relationship. Um, I know my kids at an age now that I'm in the an unbelievable patch where the 11, 9-year-old is three uh, focused on dad and I'm the hero but that will change and that's like most things in life things pass will come and go and then I'll become an idiot and a taxi driver and a, a ATM and then eventually they will come back I hope because I've invested enough time effort and love into them and hopefully they'll find out at 21 that I'm not such a big idiot but I've always had that interest at heart um, and then most importantly my wife I mean we we on this journey together. Well, we'll, there will be ups and there will be downs, but as long as we consider each other, love each other, and sacrifice for each other, um, life is good. I I don't try to compare with 
the guy next door. It's me. I don't want to keep up with the Joneses. It's, it's I, a lot of times I walk here in the mountain and go, I'm thankful for what I have. It doesn't make me less determined to succeed in the next career. But for me, life is quite simple. Value the people around you. Surrounded with people that brings the best out of you, that doesn't break you down. But yet know that you have to sacrifice. And to succeed, you have to have work ethic and dedication. But people is is who you take with. Nobody wants to be rich and alone at the end. I want people next to my deathbed. There are some uh, some seriously good life lessons in this podcast. I'm I'm quite happy. Skulk, before we let you go, because we've we've had you for for a lot longer than I think you're planning, I just wanted to get your uh, thoughts on a few selection headaches facing the box ahead of this weekend. Yes, because we're we're obviously playing Scotland. We're playing Scotland on Sunday. I don't know if you knew, but <laughs> um, set your alarms. Set, set your alarms tonight. <laughs> um, Sorry, just I couldn't get around this this gun show, so it was so hard and distracting. <laughs> exactly. and every t- every time he goes like this and he pushes with his hand, he's Listen, like now. So, some of us, some of us can't be can't be five eleven and what was it a hundred kgs and in, in our prime. Some of us have to be five foot eleven and only seventy two kilos. So I'm I'm just trying <laughs> to do what I can. I think looking looking at this game, our pack's probably pretty settled. As you say, it's it's interchangeable with the bench. That that's probably not going to change. I think nine ten probably probably quite settled too. Looking at that center combination and, and the back three, who would you have as the center combination? Who do you think is the likely back three that they're going to go with? Because as you say, Andre Estesen's really pushing for a start. Well, if if we go to the fact first, it's going to be interesting because um, and when he does, so it isn't as simple as that is. For me, put on the pack very early against England. And he's done that quite quite often. But normally he makes the change between minute 50 and 60 and not between minute 40 and 50. So then the question is, Malcolm Knox has been playing like, a, like Malcolm. Yeah, I mean, Pitch has been phenomenal. But do you rather want the impact players to have a bigger impact? Or do you want... Uh, the starters to have a bigger impact, right? So that front row combination is going to be tricky to pick. Then picking the best five, is he going to play Archie at lock? Or is he going to play um, Sosa at five? That's another question. Sia's actually only played, uh, what's the one match, two matches, uh, and he hasn't played a full 80 yet. Who's he going to replace it with? Is he going to, Put Eskom on, or is he going Kwaha on? Is he going for a 60 split? That is all things that is are can wait for selection, right? So from that perspective, Marnie is the only fly, so that's he's going to pick Marnie at 10. Is he going to pick Dwayne? I think Dwayne is as all everybody thought is uh, is due date or he's past his best, um, but he's shown that he is so important to that pack. Um, the pack just functions better with him in the team. Um, yet people thought Fafa was, was they must play Grant or they must play Quivers. He's played very well. Quivers is pushing hard for position. Then you go 12 with Marnie um, at 10, Andre, um, and with Andre's experience playing in 
Harlequins. He's had a phenomenal season. It, it looked like he's been unstoppable, not just for the Springboks, but for um for for Harlequins as well. Then you take 13, Jesse Quill has actually played brilliantly against Wales. Moody has played one game at 13, although he played school at 13. Um, but he's just a phenomenal athlete. Where do you put him in? Do you rather than put Jesse as a utility back on? Then you take Billy. Damien has pushed hard for his position. He played well against the All Blacks. But Billy has played phenomenally as well. I mean, once again, people thought he was done. And now he's come, the team has functioned well with him at, at 15 as well. Now, Mutimpi, the same thing. We do pick it. It's a, although, although you think the team has been picking itself, everyone's been pushing hard for positions. And that's what you actually want going into the World Cup. It's almost the opposite of England. You go, okay, who's actually put their hand up in England to be selected? Uh, where we are feel we've gone the opposite of saying everyone is pushing for positions. Um, so I think, funny enough, going against Scotland, we might pick Moody, uh, uh, depending on what style we play. My pimps have been better known for high balls. Are we going to kick, kick or run more? Uh, Cheslin will pick himself. Is he going to play more 10, 15 combination with Billy and with Marnie? From, Believe slots in a 10 a lot. Um, it all depends on what strategy, Rusty, and that's that's a tricky part. It is we've got such a great squad now and such a mature squad and a squad that's been together for a long time. Rusty can interchange his strategy, and then by interchanging his strategy, he would pick certain players that goes with that strategy. Um, well, I feel like you'll probably pick if he wants to run more from the back he'll probably pick Damien if he wants to play a deeper game and play a more kicking game he'll probably kick, pick Billy to then kick more and have a left right foot combination the same with Andre if he wants a 10-12 combination with a right left foot um, then he can do that or so, so from a kicking strategy you have to look at your nine who's a kicker uh, Fafa kick left. You know, take um, minor kicks right, well, right and left, but predominantly right. Then you take Andre. Do you want to kick from 12? You pick Andre to kick his left foot. Because Lukanya Arm was the 13 that kicked left foot. Now we don't have Lukanya Arm. Then do you want to pick Billy or you want to kick from 15? So it is, it's actually a lot more intriguing. Firstly, with selection. Selection will give you a certain indication of what Rusty wants to play. And then secondly, who he plays might determine our strategy going into this weekend. Because Scotland, let's focus on Scotland for a second, is, oh my goodness, they've been playing some brilliant rugby. They, where I would say, and with all due respect, I thought maybe they didn't have the depth in players or sometimes a belief in the squad that can turn things around to push France to the end, beat France the week before, and still having the, the right with audacity to play the way they play, even when they're down, takes a lot of guts and determination and belief that they can win a game in the way they play the game. And with all due respect, Scotland's weather is crap, but to play a style they're playing at the moment, 
It's phenomenal. As I said, today is the one day where the weather has not been crap. It's been fantastic. So I'm yeah, not complaining other, today, but I'm complaining the, the other, other 364 days. days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The yeah. other 364 days of the year, I'm, I'm not so happy. Finally, Skulk, we'd like to end on a quick fire round. So first thing that comes to your head, hit us. Um, best player you've played with or against? Brian O'Driscoll would be, definitely be up there. Um, the most impressive guy I've ever seen playing is Thao Thao and John Aloma. Best value or the loosest guy on a night out? Richard Barrington for at Saracens. Best game of your career. Now, disclosure, this doesn't have to be a professional game because actually a lot of professionals like to, to mention high school derbies and in, in um, this section playing four under at Erinville um, off the back tees <laughs> <laughs> you know what fair enough I didn't specify rugby did I um, you're, oh, no uh, no you're... no I would I would say that all the first was amazing um, my first time winning the, <laughs> winning the premiership winning the uh, European and then definitely um, winning the World Cup was quite special, but once again, the inter-schools uh, where there was nothing at stake except pride um, being in a school uh, a kilometer from here called Porres was probably one of my best memories I've ever made. What was your favorite Barbarians game? Because you've been involved in quite a few. I can definitely say not... Um, the one in Hong Kong where I got a yellow card for, <laughs> for, for which now they would definitely be red. Full hundred percent. Uh, and um, well, that put me actually on the map. Punching <laughs> <I guess, laughs> my own teammates, um, but I would say um, playing my first Barbarian match with guys like Jason Robertson, uh, Matt Kitto, uh, Justin Harrison. There was. Uh, Jerry Collins, Maunonu, playing against the Springboks in 07 at Twickenham after they won the World Cup, being a whippersnapper and then beating them at Twickenham and going on the on the slash from Monday to Friday and then Saturday again. Yeah, those barbarians sort of sound uh, lethal is probably the, the best word for it. It is. The, if, to all future rugby players that get an invite, and it's a written invite from the barbarians, do not ever say no, because that is probably one of the best weeks you'll ever have as a professional rugby player. Oh, don't I worry, I won't talk. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Um, finally, and I think I know what you'll, who you'll answer for this one, who wins the 2023 Rugby World Cup? Uh South Africa. So for all the guys out there who's going to always bias the game, if, uh, I would definitely go Springboks because I'm biased. If South Africa don't win it, I hope it's either a Northern Hemisphere team that hasn't won it before. Yeah. So either Ireland, France, and just because you sit in Scotland, I would say Scotland. Listen, I, I'll I'll take that. That's I mean. They're my second team. They have to be. Skulk, thank uh, you his, so his, much. This uh, has him by the ball. <laughs> <laughs>
Listen, my wife hey. just actually how great is this? She just brought me a cup of coffee because just I've been on the on the iPad for, too long for for yeah two and a half hours, and she's just, <laughs> like I said, a happy wife is a happy life. That's why I'm so happy. Listen, I I don't <laughs> to say rules. This is exactly what it is. I but still, yeah. genuinely, mate, you've been fantastic. I've really really enjoyed this interview. The insight the general life advice to it and then the golf advice which i will be taking away with me because i need it um thank you so much for your time and, and hopefully we'll catch up with you at some point later on look if i just can say you live in one of the most amazing countries for golf how can you not roll Aberdeen? you've got i mean i played at st andrews you've got mayfield you've got i mean everything Canoosties, everything is there for you. And it's, I mean, a Royal Trump, I know people hate it in Aberdeen there, but it is one of the most amazing golf courses that I've ever played. Uh, please just take up a club, even if you crap at it. Luckily, there's a handicap. Ask your mates and go and enjoy. That is, that is on the to do list for this year, I promise. I'm, I'm getting okay. lessons, so I'll, I'll update you at some point um, if I'm half as good as you or if I spend half as much time as you do on the golf course, I'm sure I'll be class. Remember, it is all about dedication. <laughs> and if you crap at it, look, there's a lot of uh, mathematically, your probability of getting to a scratch is very small. Not you, but most people. But the point is you can still have fun while being shit at it. What's the one joke? Well, there's a joke. Well, I can't say this, but it's about golf and sex life. It's the same. It's the <laughs> one thing a guy can enjoy that takes five hours. He can be crap at it, but still enjoy it. That is, well, I can't. Well, I think, yeah. I think we get the gist. Very um, PG yeah, version. Yeah, the gist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the PG version. Um, yeah. But yeah, Scott, genuinely, thank you so much, mate. It's been been class having you on and uh, your your insight and having somebody on the pod to talk about the box who actually knows what they're talking about is, is rare for our listeners. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure, guys. Have a great evening and I will set my alarm for Sunday. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Stiggs, Skulk Brits, what a nice guy and what a great interview. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was probably the most insightful interview we've had uh, with regards to rugby, especially. And obviously coming from someone that's, um, you know, been in this, obviously Dion Faree's been in the, um, in, in the, in the camp as well. That was our first episode, but the fact that it was the last world cup as well, um, him winning it and really knowing uh, Rossi's uh, thinking and everything, a lot of insight. Um, yeah. Thought it was quite funny that he thought the rugby world cup was starting uh, in two weeks. <laughs> that would have been very interesting for his, uh, for his panelist job. <laughs> Showed up a week late. <laughs> But yeah, a couple, couple uh, insights that he had there. That's uh, quite interesting. Listen, he's a busy, busy man. We'll, we'll let him off. One thing that I picked up on that I think was quite interesting was Vili LaRue versus Damien Willemser and the selection that might indicate whether or not they're going to run the ball early on or whether or not they're going to stick to mostly a, a kicking game. So I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out. This is going to go live on, on Wednesday morning. The squad should be announced on Wednesday afternoon, so we'll be eagerly waiting that. 
The other thing, which I've never acknowledged, I know I've constantly harped on about Andre Estesen as a triple threat, the kick, the pass, and the fact that he can run hard. But I didn't ever acknowledge the fact that he can actually kick off his, or does predominantly kick off of his left peg. It'll be interesting to see if that might be the thing that gives him the edge over Damian Dialendi. Because when Vili LaRue comes off the pitch, we're going to need a left footed kicker in that back line without Lacanio. No, 100%. And exactly, um, as I said before, you know, getting all these insights and that, uh, you know, even the story when he's saying, you know, last World Cup, every single South African was sort of saying, stop with the kicking, stop with the kicking. Like, you know, we always joke around and say, in Rusty, we trust, but there, there is actually a, a game plan that gets that gets thought out. And it's not necessarily our game plan that we're going to go in there week in, week out. It's always constantly changing depending on who we're playing, depending on how they're playing, what their defense is like, what their attack is like, how have um, other teams managed to turn around maybe things that they weren't sort of... Um, that that they were lacking on before and now they're changing a different routine so now we've got to change our tactics in certain scenarios so um it's going to be it's going to be very interesting with with regards to what you're saying you know like left right left right boot having those different options uh, depending on how we're going to play on the day you know and i think exactly like you said um it's it's great that we have all this depth and we just have so many options it's not like we just have okay this great starting lineup and that's just who it is. You know, we can filter in other players that are going to suit a different tactic, a different style of rugby that we're going to be playing in a different game plan. So, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be very interesting. And it's uh, hopefully utilize that depth really nicely. And it just shows in all the games that we're playing in the, in the pool stages. Talking about the pool stages, looking ahead to this weekend, let's get some picks in, see, see where we're at. I'll run over a few of the more important games. Please, nobody come at me on the internet for not mentioning your team. Um, but we'll we'll run through through a couple of the big dogs, if you will. First Sorry up, for our extremely large Chile fan base. <laughs> I was more thinking about the English fan base, but okay. <laughs> Kidding, obviously. Uh, France versus New Zealand, maybe the most exciting World Cup opener of all times. How do you even call that, mate? How do you even call that with with New Zealand's form at the moment? Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just have a funny feeling. I'm gonna go against the 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 grain at the moment and say France is gonna have a good first game opening the World Cup home crowd. I think they they just kind of have it in them to to beat New Zealand um, in the in the opener for the pool stages. You do realize they're pretty much the favorites to win the whole thing. It's yeah, really no, but everyone's, everyone's, no, but I'm saying it is pretty much against the grain in the sense of uh, in the in the sense of the opening game against New Zealand. You know, a lot of people are just saying New Zealand's going to take it. You know, it's, well, especially South Africans. Yeah, South Africans maybe. I think the rest of the world is is kind of looking at it maybe a bit differently. I think New Zealand are going to take it, and I've got a good reason for this. And actually, I've got a bit of a fallback here too. New Zealand have lost Romain and Smack, which I think is an important loss in terms of the cohesion with Antoine Dupont. However, the French play a lot off of nine. They don't necessarily play that much off of ten. So Dupont is almost like a ten and a nine's position. But where they are going to have really, really 
big missing piece is going to be at 12 because Jonathan Dancy is not available for this weekend's game. And he is by far their best 12. I think Mofana is probably going to slot in there. But I think not having him will be a bit of an issue. Although, and this is my fallback, Jordy Barrett might not be fit for the All Blacks game. And I don't think Harvey or Anton Leonard Brown are as good as, as he is. So I'm going to give it to New Zealand and I'll be the one going against the grain. You can just sit there supporting the French. That is fine. Looking ahead slightly further along, and this isn't necessarily that big a game, but it's maybe one that people are going to be keeping an eye on, Australia and Georgia. Uh, I think, ah, th- uh, jeez, uh, Georgia's going to hammer them. Um, <laughs> 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 no, I think I think Australia does pull through. Look, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a closer game than what people think. But I think Australia is going to pull through, but it's going to be sort of like a a shit game to have so close. But it's going to be that slight little confidence booster in the win column that that Australia needs. So, so I think they I think they win maybe ten points. Yeah, I think it should be a comfortable win for them. If I'm honest. Looking at the um the the next kind of bigger game, England v Argentina. Argentina. Surely, yeah. My concern is England usually usually perform quite well at World Cups, and the other concern is in 07, we put thirty points on them, and then they end up only losing to us by like three or four points in the final. So you just never know what's what's the English. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I I, I really do hope Argentina put a put a nice score on them. To be honest, I think Argentina's just just over the years how they've developed and grown and. You know the 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 way they've been playing now, getting really really big wins against the the top of the top, best of the best. You know, so I would I'd love to see them uh, perform pretty consistently this World Cup. Now they they are to be fair, they are my dark horse for the for the World Cup on that side of the 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 pool stages and that you know going into the quarterfinals and and uh, a little bit of a dark horse. I to, to I wouldn't be surprised to see a Southern Hemisphere dominated semi-finals like i wouldn't be surprised if australia argentina and either us or the all blacks were all in that semi-final mix couldn't be surprised very much happen looking at the other game for this weekend that i think a lot of people will maybe be keeping an eye on wales and fiji given fiji have just beaten england and wales are maybe struggling for form a little bit i think i'm gonna have to oh oh that's a tough one Again, again, look at Wales. Somehow, they they are a pretty decent performing team in uh in in World Cup rugby, and I think they'll they'll manage to pull it together somewhat. I don't I don't think they will um lose lose to Fiji. Isn't it? Isn't it Australia in the in the pool with them as well? Yeah. So pool A is obviously New Zealand and France. It's the Uruguay, Namibia. Our pool is Ireland, Scotland, Tonga, and Romania. Pool C is Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia, and Portugal. And actually, if you look at that, Fiji and Georgia could very much be a bump in the road for Wales or Australia. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think I think more than likely Australia, Wales go through. But I think if between those two teams, Fiji's playing. I think they could possibly have the edge over Australia, just in the sense that they've been playing a lot of the Australians. Um, they they are a lot more familiar with them. And, 
You know, if you're going on just that basis and then a team who's really not in good form and a team who's um, sh showing a bit of bit of life and a bit of hope, I think Fiji has a slightly better chance against Australia than Wales, I reckon, personally. Oh, brave call. I do, I do think they'll probably slip one of them up. I wouldn't be surprised if Fiji slipped both of them up. You heard it yet? That'd be great. I would love it. I <laughs> would love to it. Top their pool. Um, and then the big, big game for this weekend, South Africa versus Scotland, Sunday, quarter to six, South African time. I hope plenty of people in South Africa have taken the Monday off because we'll probably have quite a few bubble us supporters. South Africa about 15. Yes, like it. That is confident. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. I'm being brave. I'm being brave. That mate. is brave. We'll, we'll, we'll see how these how these calls work out this weekend, but I'm being brave. Yeah, I don't I I think it's gonna be more difficult than what people expect it's going to be. No, hundred percent. Scotland have historically really struggled in the pack. Their their starting pack is now really, really good. And the pack that comes off the bench isn't bad either. I think they might go six two because they've got the ability to play Blair King one at 15 and him to then slot into 10 later on if needs be, although I don't view him as a 10. I think South Africa going to win, but I'm going to close that margin down slightly and say South Africa by six. We shall see, sir. We shall see. You're just being very political. Politically Listen, correct. Listen, man, I this, this Scotland team does worry me because I think they're going to take yeah. a scalp at this World Cup and it's going to be us or it's going to be Ireland. I'm just hoping it's Ireland. No, for sure. For sure. I think, I think you're just, uh, you're just playing, uh, playing brave because you're going to be in the lion's den this weekend. I am, to be fair. I will be in a flat full of about 10 Scots. So, And I will be one of them, but that's just because it's my name. It's not because I'm supporting Scotland. <laughs> not to worry. Be brave. <laughs> right. Thanks for joining us in another episode. It might be our best one yet. Not the the crap chat from us at the end, but certainly the the great chat from Scott Brits during. If you've not already, then please head over to the socials and give us a like or a follow. We'll be back next week to review the first round of the World Cup. Can you believe it? It's finally here. Catch you then. <laughs> <laughs>